0: When you think about who runs Washington, maybe you think about the president and the vice president. Maybe you think about Congress and the Senate. But Maya King over at Politico, she wants you to think about all the people behind those people, the press secretaries and legislative directors, the chiefs of staff, people who much of the time are invisible, but their fingerprints are all over every U.S. law that passes. And now that you're thinking about these people, what do you think they look like? If I asked you to tally up how many chiefs of staff on Capitol Hill are people of color, like, could you do it? Could you, could you count them up?
1: Yes, I could, because it would take just two hands. <laughs> <laughs> it would actually take, it would take just one hand. <laughs> so it's under five well, staffing is still occurring, and I'll say this before November, it was definitely one hand. Now it might be it might be like one and a half. <laughs> it might be like it's but it's certain it's still less than ten.
0: Ever since Maya started paying more attention to who was pulling the levers behind the scenes, she started wondering if the people staffing a legislator's office aren't representative,
1: how representative? can their policies be? We're moving up, but there's still a small handful of us in these very predominantly white spaces.
0: Today on the show, what happens when your office politics are actually national politics? Maya makes the case that when Congress has a diversity problem, so do the rest of us. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When I think about what diversity can look like in Congress, I think about this photo I came across of Shirley Chisholm, the congresswoman, back in 1970, smiling, leaning over a desk, surrounded by seven congressional staffers. All of them are women, five black women, two white. When I mentioned this photo to Maya King, she said, even though it's 50 years old,
1: It reinforces this thing you notice on the Hill. Black, Latino, and Asian members and women members tend to have the more diverse staffs because they understand these issues. I mean, part of the reason why a lot of these people ran for office is because they didn't see themselves in these spaces. And so they take that one step further by also putting uh, people of color in their top staffing positions. And it sends a message, of course, of representation, but it also sends a message of, these are teams that are just as capable of making these really tough decisions. These are teams that are just as capable of doing the job of lawmaking in this country. There's a report
0: Maya used to confirm that staff diversity on the Hill is as bad as it seems. Researchers at the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies surveyed Senate and House top staff positions They define that as chief of staff, legislative policy director, and communications director. They found that in the House, just 14% of these jobs are held by people of color. In the Senate, where staff sizes are even larger, that number goes down to 11%. Keep in mind, the United States is 40% people of color. And this lack of diversity is apparent on both sides of the aisle. While this report is just a piece of the picture... That piece is still perplexing. I mean, I wonder if you had a chance to talk to any members about these discrepancies and just hand them the data and say, why?
1: Those who, you know, who struggled, really, and who did not have any people of color in their top staffing positions would point to the House Office of Diversity and Inclusion or its partner office on the Senate side and say, look, we work with these offices. We're trying. We plan to review the resumes of people of color who who are qualified to work in our office. And we plan to prioritize those, those applicants. Sounds a little like passing the buck. And that's what makes these conversations so difficult. And that's what puts these offices, like offices of diversity and inclusion, in such difficult places, because that's not really their job to sort of just throw people of color who are qualified um, at these offices because the offices have a problem. I mean, their goal is to change the culture and to make sure that there is a a, a broad representation just across offices of people of color. It's not sort of a plug and fix um, place to, to place to go. One
0: of Maya's sources said that since hiring in the Capitol is driven by elected officials,
1: it's also driven by their biases. Because they are usually the people who have the last say in who gets hired for these top-level positions. And a number of Asian-American uh, young professionals who were going for these positions found themselves not making it after the very last step and it got, it got back to one of the staffers that I talked to that one of the members had this uh, this bias, this internal bias of, of meekness, this perceived meekness among Asian Americans that they um, don't necessarily, that this member believed that they don't um, assert themselves as much as they would like. And it was based entirely in stereotype. And so that really stuck with me as something that people had no control over. You can't put any structures or rules in place to fight that. It's really just coming down to one individual member's own bias. This is a cultural issue, too. You've noted that even though
0: Democrats do tend to hire more diverse staffers than Republicans, they have a hard time retaining and promoting staffers of color. Can we talk about
1: why that is? Well, I think what we saw this year is actually that dynamic in in play. So, of course, Democrats took the White House, and that means a new, uh, entirely new executive branch from who's working in the West Wing to who is staffing up a number of these federal agencies. And so, what we saw in this transition now to a Democratic administration was. I'm trying to think of the best way to be diplomatic to say this, but a number of the top-level staffers, particularly on the House side, staffers of color, ended up leaving um, their post to take jobs in the White House, and a number of others left to take jobs in a number of federal agencies. A great opportunity, of course, for all of these uh, these staffers of color, and a number of them were women of color. But what, at the same time, it created sort of a a drain or like a policy brain drain on the hillside because there weren't as many people of color in place on the hill to be able to replace those who had left. And it's a reflection, again, of the lack of diversity because there are a few people who are able to work their way through this pipeline and work their way to the top on the hill, but it's only a few. We're still in an era of first Black, first Latino, first Asian, first Native X in a lot of these offices, especially in these top staff staff positions. And that's just unacceptable.
0: There are also these structural limitations in terms of how much money people can make, which is kind of interesting because Congress, of course, sets the budget so they could change this. But over the last few years, you know, they've appropriated less and less for their offices and staff. And it means you don't have the flexibility to give someone a little more money when they need it, or maybe to maintain someone as your chief of staff when the White House comes calling and they have deeper pockets.
1: Absolutely. Especially in in the District of Columbia, which has an extremely high cost of living. And is is rapidly gentrifying, which is only driving costs of living up higher, which is making it a lot more difficult for young people of color, particularly those who might support their families financially in some way, or, or those who... Have student loan debt or any any other number of financial obligations that make it difficult for them to afford twenty five hundred dollars a month simply in rent while also trying to work on the hill. and so that's that's one barrier to entry. and the other, of course, is the fact that a number of these these top level staffers and the way that you make it, you know, into these positions quickly sometimes is by joining uh, a an office um from the on the campaign side which means you're taking a big gamble on a candidate because, of course, they might not win, so the timeline is uncertain. You're definitely not being paid that much money. You're traveling a lot. The hours are really long and grueling. That's a lot for a young person to go through, and it's a lot for a young person who has no financial safety net. Yeah. If, you're,
0: if your mom can help you with your bills, it's easier <laughs> to do that kind of job. Right. Exactly. Do you think the money is the main issue here? because you mentioned a raise, like I'm thinking about AOC in particular, who's got this salary floor in her office of $52,000 a year. And it's interesting to me because it sounds like you're saying that if these members paid for the work, paid for the talent,
1: that that would be a big step forward. Yeah. I mean, I think that's certainly one step, but I also think that Hill culture does not often lend itself to a lot of thought and effort given to its staffers, period, regardless of their race. Just based off of my conversations with staffers who are often overworked, their directive is also um, in many ways to work behind the curtain, not to really be very vocal. And that's why a lot of the, almost all of the staffers I talk to, in fact, are on background background you know, to preserve their own job security because you're not really, the Hill culture does not lend itself to being friendly towards those who speak out against these issues. So again, I think it also needs to be addressed in the minds of the members, the members themselves. It's a change of attitude and of mindset. And that's why it's often something that members of color tend to take on because they understand it more intimately.
0: When we come back, how changing legislators' mindset about diversity could change legislation.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Part of what I think is interesting and important about this story is that the 117th Congress is the most diverse Congress ever, but then you see kind of all the folks supporting These members aren't necessarily reflective of the world around them. And I want to get into why staff diversity matters, how it can actually impact the work that's done on Capitol Hill. Do you have a good example of that?
1: Yeah. um, Well, one example that I used in my story was the Paycheck Protection Program and its first rollout that really uh, was kind of a disaster for business owners of color, especially Black and Latino business owners. When the funding went out, as we all saw the stories, a number of corporations kind of got first dibs, local and small-owned businesses, um, or local-owned and small businesses, excuse me, got a, a, a much smaller slice of that, and they were the ones who really needed that help the most. And then if you look inside that number... Black and Latino businesses got like the very last or last in line to get a lot of this funding. And part of the reason why is because a number of businesses of color, in fact, a large portion of them tend to bank with credit unions, community banks, and the first round of Paycheck Protection Program loans or grants did not really factor that in. And so one expert that I spoke with at the Brennan Center pointed this out and said, if there were more people of color who worked on these policy rollout teams and understood what small and minority-owned businesses really would need to make sure that they got the money that they needed, that would have been a, a, pretty, diff- a pretty different outcome. Um, because as we also know, Black and Latino-owned businesses were, you know, the, among the main the main ones to, to close um, as a result of the economic downturn caused by the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, and it's like, like I've been in a lot of workplaces over the last decade or so that have grappled with issues of diversity and inclusion and who gets to say what, whose voices we're elevating. And I found it's this interesting push and pull of having enough staffers there to raise the issues when they need to be raised and feeling the protection of having others like them around them and having the institution be willing to listen. And I, I wonder, it sounds like Capitol Hill has issues on both ends where there aren't a lot of staffers of color and it's unclear whether the systems are ready for the message they have.
1: I, th- I think that's exactly it. And it's also taken even further by the fact that a lot of these members have had to, especially over the last year, grapple with how to craft policy that addresses these issues and think about these issues for, in a very real way for the first time. I mean, let's think in the first hundred days now of this presidency and in the early months of this new Congress, we've seen legislation that addresses hate crimes against Asian Americans, reparations <laughs> for African Americans and sweeping reform of police and the criminal justice system. I mean, these are all really big pieces of legislation, of course, to put that like <laughs> very basically, but also bills that have required members to really grapple with what kind of country they want to create. And these are staffers who are also helping write these policies that sat there and were able to really say or advocate for you know, the framing of a lot of these issues and, and what to include and who to meet with. It's very meta. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. When you talk to members and, and put it in those terms, of course, you know, some, some, of course, will agree and say that that's their goal. And others will say, look, I just write the policy. I put the laws in place and I advocate for what I would like to see, what I believe my constituents need. What What other changes that creates? Not necessarily within my wheelhouse.
0: And of course, like what's in your wheelhouse? Varies if your wheelhouse is full of white people. Exactly.
1: And if your staffers are all white, that's what your wheelhouse is going to look like.
0: Maya King, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Maya King is a reporter over at Politico. That's where she writes the Recast newsletter about how race and identity are shaping politics, policy, and power. And that's the show. Before we go, quick favor to ask of you. When I think about the last year and what was common to just about everyone's experience, I think of loss, whether that was a lost job, lost time with friends, even losing someone you loved to the coronavirus. And I wanna hear from you. What did you lose this past year? So leave me a message, 202-888-2588. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, Davis Land, Carmel Delshad, and Mary Wilson. We get help each and every day from Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. Go to my Twitter and brainstorm what you're going to leave us as a message. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.
2: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,